0: Good news, everyone. The Logbooks has received a grant from the National Lottery Heritage Fund, meaning we can make season three. Watch out for it later in the year.
1: So while you wait and whilst Adam calms down, you (laughs) could listen to Call Me Mother. It's another podcast made by award-winning podcast company Novel that shares the stories of our queer elders. In every episode, author and journalist Sean Fay talks to a different LGBTQ trailblazer who has something important, interesting or enlightening to say about what it means to be queer in the world today.
0: To give you a taste of Call Me Mother, we're dropping our favourite episode from their recent season, Here. It's a conversation with Sandra Caldwell, a 67-year-old actor who was forced to hide part of herself for 40 years. We loved hearing Sandra tell her story to Sean with such warmth and wisdom, and we think you will too.
1: We'll see you later in 2021, but for now, here we go. From Season 1 of Call Me Mother, Sean Fay interviewing Sandra Caldwell.
2: Before we begin, this series features remarkable stories told by remarkable people, Some of the events they discuss and some of the words they use to describe their experiences can be quite colourful. This programme contains explicit language and descriptions of an adult nature. Listener discretion is advised.
3: I was nervous all the time, scared all the time. I carry fear with me a lot to this day. You can't live 40 years of your life thinking something's going to come around the corner and stop everything you're doing. This is Sandra Coldwell. They call me Mama. Oh Lord, <laughs> It makes me feel. When they call me that, I always want to say, "Don't call me that." But uh, they call me Mama. They when they email me or or text me, they say they send me. Uh, on Valentine's, to get a happy valentine's day mama or oh, when it's mother's day i got like a line full of text messages i said oh my goodness
2: um actually it's quite funny because this 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 podcast series is called call me mother <laughs> um partly to uh to uh yeah reflect this and that's something we probably don't tell to all the guests but considering if you're already been called it that's fine
3: okay i've crossed over into that age have i Alrighty then. Okay.
2: <laughs> when we hear stories about the lives of queer people, particularly those of an older generation, they often begin with struggle and suffering. Families aren't supportive. Communities reject us. We're forced to move to large towns or cities so that we can find our tribe and finally live truthfully. Sandra's story does share some similarities with that pattern. But by and large, her life hasn't followed that all too familiar path. She began life surrounded by people who loved her and celebrated her for who she was. It was only later, when she began to explore the world as an adult, that things took a more troubling turn, one that would force her to hide a key part of herself for more than 40 years. It's a secret that would follow her from Washington to Paris, New York to Toronto, until finally, in her 60s, she decided she wouldn't let it define her anymore you're listening to Call Me Mother, a collection of conversations with queer elders. I'm Sean Fay. Each episode, I'll be talking with an LGBTQ trailblazer who has something important, interesting, or enlightening to say about what it means to be queer in the world today. By talking to older queer people, we want the stories in this series to create a sense of community across generational lines. By the end, our hope is that you have the language you need to grapple with new experiences by showing that you belong to a much broader history. This episode, The Secret Lives of Sandra.
3: Talk to me about your life growing up. What was that like? I lived in a a section of Washington DC that was called Anacostia, which was where most of the Black population lived. I had my grandparents and my mom and my father and and a host of people taking care of you because it was a very close-knit community. Life was good. Barbecues, picnics, you know, Sunday dinner, the whole, you know, the whole nine yards. You know, one person made great potato salad, one person made great fried chicken, another one would always swear that he could pick the best watermelon kind of thing. Oh, macaroni and cheese, of course. You know, there's always mac and cheese in there somewhere. I loved ribs. My uncle could make the best ribs. Oh, they were so good. They were juicy. It was lovely. When I got to be about 12, I lived with my aunt for a while. And my aunt was a seamstress. And she used to, like, make clothes. And she made clothes for herself. And when she'd go out, I'd put her clothes on. But I never thought, I I never thought about it. I never thought about gender and I never thought I was, I was having fun. That's the way I thought. I was having fun.
2: Sandra happily carried on playing dress up throughout her mid-teens. That was all she wanted, all she needed at the time. Questions about identity and who she was couldn't have been further from her mind. Then one day, she found herself in Washington DC's DuPont Circle a gathering place for street kids and Washington's queer community.
3: I gravitated towards the drag queens. And that's, that's who I hung up with most. And so I learned from that, from the drag queens. You dress up a little bit more, and each time a little bit more, and each time a little bit more. So that's how it, it developed. It started there. That was full-blown drag queen. And then I wanted a little bit more... And I had a friend of mine. She was a a lady of the evening, let's just say. And I stopped hanging out with the drag queens. And I started hanging out with her. Her name was Joanne. And she was so lovely. Just, just beautiful. Hair down to her back. She was a black woman. And beautiful skin. And she had these green eyes. Oh, my goodness. And so she took me... To Europe, and I was 17 when I left. Obviously, I have to ask about the Moulin Rouge. How did you end up there? Every time I talk about my life, it sounds a little far-fetched. But There was a time when black skin was in vogue in Europe. So, yeah, I was a showgirl, and I, I, wo- I worked at the Moulin Rouge. I worked at the Casino de Paris, I worked at um, Le Puscat. It looked like Oz to me at that time. you know, at that age? It looked like Oz feathers and beads and you know music and, and, and people and, and people dressed up back then. Oh no jeans. Mm-mm. No jeans, no jeans. dressed up, hair, dude, women, oh, it was lovely. The Casino de Paris was way sophisticated. What does a showgirl do? She walks, (laughs) she presents, (laughs) you know, she presents. She glides and there's a way of walking. I've learned you have to drag your foot. You never, both feet never move. You have to place one and then drag the other one behind you. And then you have to bevel and then push the other one out. Oh my God, I'm an instructor. (laughs)
2: Sandra thrived in Paris. She adored her work, and the patrons of the clubs she performed at adored her. Every evening, she would step out on stage, carrying an enormous whalebone fan, almost six feet long, thick with ostrich feathers. She'd twist and turn, snapping the fan open and closed as the crowd looked on, enthralled. But as much as she loved burlesque, she gradually began to realize she needed more. The term drag queen no longer felt like it was enough to describe who she was. And so, after a couple of years in Europe, she decided to come home.
3: My mother, God god bless her, was right by me. She knew she knew what we had to do. She went with me through all the um different stages. Um, There were like four or five stages you had to go through at the time. So she went with me through all the stages. The only thing she didn't do was go with me, which was a journey in itself. Good Lord. Oof. Where did you have to travel
2: for the stages of assessment for hormones are you talking about?
3: When did I start to get boobs and this and that and the other thing? Um, Well, they called it at the time sex reassignment. I had to go from washing done to Trinidad, Colorado. And when you got to Trinidad, you got off the airport in Denver, and then you had to take a bus. It was like 10 hours or something. But Dr. Biber was supposed to be the best. That's where I was going. And uh, I remember not having all the money two days before I was supposed to fly. And man mom, we hustled the money, we got it. And she said, go, just go. I'll make sure the money gets to the doctor. I was thrilled and it was like a, was like a new toy. It was like a new toy, you know, like, you know, it was very wee, wee, a, a new toy. You just want to show everybody. My mom said, no, no, no no, people can't come over to view, no, no, uh-uh. So, yeah, it was just, I was, I was very, very excited. And then after a few weeks, you realised it was time for you to move on.
2: Sandra knew she couldn't find anything close to the Moulin Rouge in Washington, D.C. It wasn't that kind of place. But New York, that was different. If she could make it there, she figured, she might be able to find a way to keep performing.
3: I tried to go do a strip thing, but that time it had evolved to something else, which they called them bottle girls, where you just hustle guys at the club to buy you a bottle of champagne. And you had to sit with them, and of course they wanted to maul you, and that kind of thing. So I tried that for, you know, I tried that and it was like, oh, this is so horrible. So during that time is when I started to really hunt out something that I could do. I don't know how, how it happened, but somebody told me about, they called it, a time, somebody, they're shooting a movie down the street. Let's all go and see if we can get in it. it was a street scene it was the weirdest thing because they took two of us getting into the business was very different way different back then and we're talking we're talking 25 30 years ago keep it to yourself and uh, i liked it i liked it very much and then i found out that i could pass that's what they call it you know i could pass i said oh I, I did this and nobody knew. Oh, this is so good.
2: I was wondering if you could say what you under, what
3: you meant by that word, um, what people mean when they say that. It meant living undercover, basically. Living real was one of the uh, key words. Living real. It wasn't so much of a choice; it was a necessity back in the day, as I call it, um, because. It was a dangerous world for for you to be trans back then. So uh, you took the risk of being harmed if you chose to try to live the life openly as you possibly could, as you wanted, I should say.
2: Keeping this part of your life secret isn't an option for all trans people, nor do many of us want to keep it secret. But Sandra did. At the time, she felt like there wasn't any other option. This was something she had to do to keep herself safe. And if she had any doubts about whether she needed to hide who she was, those first few years in New York would convince her. After her first taste of the film world, she began looking for an agent
3: and almost immediately started to run into difficulties. Somebody told me about an agency called Ophelia DeVore. So I went up. And she said, "Okay, let, she, let me take a look at you." And she looked, and she said, "Walk up and down over here." I walked up and down over here. You have any photos? I said, "No, ma'am." So uh, she said, "Okay, well, let me take some." you remember uh, what do you call them? Polaroids? So she took some Polaroids, and she said, "Can you come back on like Thursday or something like that?" I said, "Yes." That Thursday came. And I got all dressed up. Went into the office.
2: Everything was about to fall into place. The owner of the agency, Ms. DeVore, would be reviewing Sandra's photos personally, and the agency seemed inclined to take her on. But then, one of the receptionists recognised Sandra from her younger days.
3: He had seen my Polaroids before I got there, and told Ms. DeVore I told my tea. So they said they couldn't use me. That's how people were back then. Shade. <laughs> it happened a couple of more times, and incidents like that meant, I'm not, no, I, I need to get away, which led me to disappear.
2: Sandra knew if she was ever going to have any hope of living a life free from prejudice, she needed to go somewhere where nobody would know her past. Nobody would know who she'd been before she became Sandra. She left New York then and there and headed instead to Canada. Were you
3: worried about being exposed? I felt like I had to be on my toes all the time. And it was always something that I took with me to a set. And sometimes you could get out of hand with it because you try to... For a while, I was self-medicating to try to knock knock the fear away. I sabotaged myself like crazy because sometimes... If I sabotaged myself, then I couldn't, uh, I couldn't get the job. Therefore, I didn't have to be fearful. So I, I was always afraid that if they found out, they'd throw me off the set. Or if they found out, the um, union would kick me out the union. That's stuff you live with in your head um, because that's what happens. That's what happened back in the day. Now, you couldn't be a trans person and get a job. As a woman, don't just... No, no. You would have been in jail. Over the next few decades, Sandra did manage to
2: build a successful career as an actress. But with each year that passed, and with each new achievement, her secret only grew and grew. It consumed every aspect of her life, her work, her friendships. It just kept getting bigger and bigger, dwarfing every decision.
3: I was getting married, and I hadn't told my husband.
2: How did that, if you don't mind talking about it, I don't want to be intrusive.
3: I had lived with my husband for about seven years. We had gone out for seven years. And I never told him that I was trans woman. We were about to get married in about two weeks. So we were moving out of the apartment we were into a home. After, After the ceremony, we were going to move right in. I don't, I was doing something in bed, I think it was taking a shower and we had packed and there were boxes on the table. And in the boxes were some, my personal papers and stuff like that. And I have a binder that I keep, that I still have to this day, of all my paperwork, my trans paperwork, my doctor stuff. I came out the bedroom, he had the binder in his hand And he was reading the binder. And he was on the page of my uh, gender change papers. He was looking at it. Oh, God. He just stared at me and stared at me and stared at me. And And I started saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And he just looked at me and just walked out the door. I did something terrible. And I think it's wrong and I think it should never should never happen again but to anyone. That's just wrong. You should that's taking somebody else's life and adjusting it without them knowing it. It was it was yeah. It was this
2: moment this sudden break with the man she loved that made Sandra realise something had to change. She couldn't carry on living a lie anymore. She didn't want to. But deciding, finally, to give up a secret you've been holding onto for 40 years isn't easy. Having told yourself over and over again that the world won't accept you, and having seen evidence of this fact firsthand, how, after all that, do you find the strength to live
3: truthfully? I didn't want to speak to any of my friends because then that would have gone into another situation. So I went and I told my agent. She was one of my dearest friends. I went over and the conversation was just so convoluted because I didn't know what the words to use. I'd never been more scared in my life. I thought for sure she was going to say, well, we seriously can't work with you there's no place for this in our agency. That's what, I, I was ready for the big kick out because that's what happened before. Met her at a, <laughs> at a waffle shop, <laughs> at a pancake place it was because it was up the street from me. And I must've looked like a raving lunatic, a raving lunatic. And that's why I told her I kept saying, uh Carol, I got something to tell you. I got something to tell you. I got something to tell you. I must have said that a hundred times. And she kept saying, what, what? I finally said, I'm a boy. I had no clue why I said it like that, but it just came out that way. It just came out. Yeah, Woof. She didn't do what I thought she was going to do. I thought she was going to jump up and call me all kinds of names and this and that, and the because that's what would have happened back in the day. And she said, you've got to calm down, you've got to breathe.
2: By this point in her career, Sandra had been living and working as an actress in Canada for many years, and that acting had earned her a public profile. Her agent, Carol, knew that if Sandra was going to start living openly, it wasn't just her friends and colleagues who would find out, it would likely reach the press too. As the two of them were deciding how best to approach this delicate situation, something fortuitous but entirely unexpected happened.
3: She called me and she said, guess what I've got? I've got this piece right here that just came in. She said, I think this is the way. And it was charm.
2: Written by Philip Dawkins, Charm is a play about a 67-year-old black transgender woman named Mama Darlena who decides to teach an etiquette class at Chicago's LGBTQ Community Centre to a group of queer students. The story grapples with questions of identity, poverty and prejudice. By the time the play is over, Mama Darlena has learnt as much about herself and what it means to be trans as the young students have learnt from her. Sandra and Carol had found their solution. Sandra would audition for the lead.
3: I had to go and audition for the same people I had been working with. Um, They had cast me in a couple of things. And so I went in and I don't know what I expected. I had no idea what to expect, but I was crying. I went in and the first thing I said, which was silly, because I went in for a trans role and I I felt like I had to tell them (laughs) <laughs> I said, "Well, that's kind of crazy." They know you're in here for a trans role. They know you're trans, but you. F- I felt like I had to tell them. I said, "I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm a trans. I'm a transgender woman. I'm sorry." And they said, "Okay, okay. It's all right. Go outside and pull yourself together, and then come back." And I came back, and I read. But this time, I went in as an actress. I didn't go in as a trans woman. I went in as actress. I could relate to everything about this woman, so I spoke in confidence because I knew what she wa- I knew what she was talking about. She was a little older than, than I. I know why she made choices back in the day. I I knew all those things, so my my reading was I felt very lovely, and um, I was getting ready to leave the room because that's what you do at an audition. But they said, why don't you have a seat? And I think by that time they had made up their minds. Um, They said, well, we'd like to offer you the role. I left. It was like walking on the sidewalk going... It was like walking in a puff of smoke. Do you know what I mean? It was like surreal. And I finally thought about it, and I went... When I thought about it, I said, "Uh uh-oh, uh-oh folks are going to know, uh-oh, no going back. When the news of
2: Sandra's casting broke, it made headlines around the world. To play transgender, wrote the New York Times, Sandra Caldwell had to open up about who she is. Almost overnight, the weight Sandra had been carrying around with her for more than four decades had been lifted. How do you feel about being an out-out? trans woman now.
3: I'm, you know, I'm I'm still learning, but I just made a decision about two weeks ago. I have to embrace this 100%. We have been sitting with ourselves for a year. If you haven't learned anything about yourself, if you haven't developed a way to cope with yourself and your stuff then you've lost your mind. And I've discovered, I don't want to say who I am, because that's too cliche, but I've discovered, discovered a self-worth that is way beyond where I thought I could be. How, how worthy I am for everything.
2: There was one thing kind of bit of wisdom that you would want to pass on to someone from your
3: own life experience, do you know what that would be? Slow down, make sure you take, take a look at everything around you, appreciate everything around you. I wish I had taken the time to enjoy everything I had been given. I've been given some fantastic opportunities. I wish I could have taken them all in to the, to the fullest. Lived in 100%. I just want people to live 100%. Live
2: 100%. You've been listening to Call Me Mother, produced by Novel and supported by the Audio Content Fund. This series is presented by me, Sean Fay. It was produced and edited by Thomas Curry and Pippa Smith. Our executive producers were Max O'Brien and Sean Glynn. This episode was mixed by Joel Cox.
1: You've just heard an episode of Call Me Mother. Isn't Sandra amazing?
0: Yes. Sean and the team behind the show have many more fab elders in other episodes. In one of them, Brad Becker talks about his work in a US version of Switchboard. For that conversation and more, follow the Call Me Mother podcast wherever you listen.
1: But we'll see you later in 2021 with season three of The Logbooks. Bye.
0: Bye. (laughs)